Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine, chiropractor, and functional nutrition practitioner, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. I'm excited about today's podcast, but before we jump in, I wanted to remind you to download this month's special gift at drjockersgift.com. From keto meal plans, smoothie recipes, to fasting quick start guides, we have a new complimentary gift every single month. To get your gift, simply visit drjockersgift.com. That's D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S-G-I-F-T.com. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast has been brought to you by Paleo Valley. They are one of my favorite companies because their products are super pure, full of incredible ingredients. And I want to tell you about their meat sticks. They have 100% grass-fed beef, pasture-raised turkey meat sticks that my family and I love. My kids love these because they have tons of flavor. They're completely free of carbs and sugar, and they have probiotics in them as well. So they're great for your gut, great for supporting your appetite, your satiety levels. They help you uh, feel satiated, and they help you burn fat for fuel. They're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, GMO-free, and preservative-free. So they are the top of the line. They've got some great flavors that you will absolutely love. And now you can use my coupon code, Jockers, just my last name, J-O-C-K-E-R-S, to get 15% off your order today. Simply go to their website, paleovalley.com, and enter Jockers at checkout, and you'll receive 15% off your entire purchase. The link and discount code are also available in the show notes of today's episode. Once you try these meat sticks, you won't be able to get enough. I mean, my kids love these, my family loves these, and I know you will as well. So try them out, Paleo Valley, and I know you're going to love them. Well, hey there, welcome to the podcast. Today, we are talking about the intermittent fasting strategies specifically for women. Of course, you know, intermittent fasting is an amazing strategy for men and women, but women have unique challenges. And so I brought on my friend, Cynthia Turlo, who is the CEO and founder of the Everyday Wellness Project. She's a nurse practitioner, an international speaker, and globally recognized expert in intermittent fasting and nutritional health. And she's going to really break down the best strategies for women to apply with this. And she has over 20 years experience in health and wellness, and she's a two-time TEDx speaker including one of her talks that has over 10 million views, one of her TEDx talks. So absolutely amazing there. And she has a new book. It's The Intermittent Fasting Transformation, where she shares her IF45 plan. That's a 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve their hormonal health, and slow aging. You guys can check her out at CynthiaTurlow.com. And again, her book is the Intermittent Fasting Transformation. You guys will love the book and you're going to love the podcast. We talk about a lot of very interesting things when it comes to fasting, when it comes to 
consuming the right amount of protein and uh, when it comes to really how to set up your meal plan. So I know you guys will get a lot out of this podcast. And if you have not left us a review, now is the time to do that. Just scroll to the bottom of your podcast player and leave a five-star review. When you do that, that helps us reach more people and impact more lives. Thanks so much for doing that. And let's go into the show. Well, hey, Cynthia, welcome back to the podcast, your second time on now, and I'm excited about your new book. And if you guys are watching on video, she's got a beautiful little portrait behind her. Great design on this book. It's the Intermittent Fasting Transformation, which is close to my heart because I wrote The Fasting Transformation. So, you know, so she just threw the intermittent on top of that. Um, (laughs) We're both passionate about intermittent, and she's really designed this book to be, you know, the the kind of book because women and men are different. And, um, you know, when, when a man like me writes a book, I may have, you know, obviously I'm going to have my own unique experiences with fasting, uh, but, you know, I'm not in a female body. And as my wife tells me often, women are different, right? They think differently. They, um, you know, they have different, uh, uh, obviously hormones at different times of the, of, uh, the month, and that can impact their appetite. It can impact their cravings. It can impact a lot of different elements of their, of their, their psyche and, and uh, their physiology. And so you've really gone in depth on that in your book. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me back. And, you know, it's always an honor and a privilege to connect with other like-minding fasted fasting experts. And you hit the nail on the head that we have to fast a little differently than men. And, And that's a beautiful thing. I think so many times we want to point out differences and, Feel like we have to provide explanations and i remind people that we were created exactly as we are and just honoring our unique physiology irrespective of whether we're male or female is really important and i think fasting as you and i both believe is just one of the most important strategies we can utilize to maintain our health and unfortunately uh, if we look at a lot of statistics that have come out over the last several years we, in many ways, we as a society are kind of losing the battle. So I, I feel almost more now more than ever that this information needs to be out there and, and certainly speaking directly to women and, you know, wherever they are in their continuum of their lifespan, if they're still cycling, if they're in perimenopause, the five to 10 years preceding menopause, or if they're no longer menstruating, there are ways to fast effectively and, you know, help support your hormones in the same process. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I think we talked about this on your first interview, but there's a lot of listeners that missed that one. But obviously, guys can go back in our archives and uh, and check that one out. But um, let's start with how you found intermittent fasting, when you started, how how you discovered it, and what your experience has been throughout the years. Well, you know, I'm a traditional allopathic trained nurse practitioner. All my backgrounds in ER medicine and cardiology. And so, you know, for me, I I was a little trepidatious when I initially considered it. I actually read Dr. Jason Fung's book, and that gave me the confidence to feel like there was a lot of of good research, high quality research that had been done or was being done. And so initially it was just an N of one. It was a woman who was in her early 40s who, for the first time in her adult life, was stuck. You know, the scale was stuck. And when you're five foot three, 10 pounds makes a huge difference. I had not really been prepared for what uh, perimenopause was going to be like. And I hit it going at about hundred miles an hour, too much stress, stressful job. Um, you know, husband who traveled internationally, young kids, and then probably too intense exercise for the age and stage I was at and probably too much restriction of carbohydrates in my diet for me personally. And so I came to it initially with 
curiosity. And within a week or two, I felt so much better, you know, that mental clarity. And I, I think I probably became fairly fat adapted quickly. That mental clarity was what drove my desire to want to share it with my patients and with anyone that was willing to listen. I think with a lot of the dogma that we grew up with, it is such a departure from what we've been taught, even as clinicians. And so, you know, for me, fundamentally, I always say it gave me, you know, the quality of life back that I wanted and then some. So it started as simply as an N of one and then really expanded from there. And then I started, you know, talking to my cardiology patients who all thought I was nuts um, and then trying to talk to my colleagues about it. And, and we have to understand that there's a certain degree of, of cognitive dissonance as it pertains to, you know, diet dogma and, you know, our view on meal frequency. And so people hear the message when they're ready. That's what it ultimately comes down to that. I, I realize, you know, it took my husband probably two or three years to be open to fasting and now he does it every day. And so sometimes a lot of it is based on, you know, when we're ready for the message, the message will come or the information will come. And so that was certainly the case with me, but that's where it started is simply as the N of one, just me trying to, you know, get back to being as metabolically flexible as I'd always been. Uh, but, you know, perimenopause kind of threw a wrench in it and then I got rerouted and, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're one of the leading voices in the fasting movement. It's kind of similar with me. I mean, I was doing intermittent fasting for probably six or seven years before I even started teaching it to other people. I was like, yeah, I know it works for me because nobody, I didn't hear anybody else talking about it at that time, but I was like, I'm kind of, kind of nervous about like having women do it. And, you know, are, are people going to, going to respond like I have. Right. And so I was nervous about it. And so it wasn't until about 2012 or so that I actually started teaching patients to do it and, uh, and seeing great results with it. But, you know, there are certain demographics that have more challenges than others. And, um, you know, women can certainly fall into that category. And that's why you put this book together. And so let's talk about some of the challenges that women have. You know, let's start with um, younger women during the mm -hmm. menstrual cycle. And then, of course, you know, later on in the podcast, we'll talk about um, pre, you know, perimenopause, menopause, right? And what's happening there and what kind of fasting strategies can work best. Yeah, and I think these are really important questions to have, or actually, these are important conversations to have rather, because there's a lot of fear mongering that goes on on social media. I, and I think I want to believe it's well meaning, but I get DMs, as I'm sure you do almost every day asking, is this safe for me to do? Mm -hmm. And so when I'm speaking to younger women, and again, if we look at the degree of metabolic inflexibility, you know, a lot of insulin resistance, obesity, et cetera, in our population, you're really doing women a disservice if you're suggesting to them that it's somehow harmful for them to fast. They may fast less frequently. They may not fast as long. Um, they will certainly be mindful of where they are in their menstrual cycle. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I think about, you know, uh, disease states or disorders that we think of are associated with insulin resistance, like polycystic ovarian syndrome. And you don't have to be overweight to have PCOS. Uh, that's a common misnomer. There's certainly a thin physiology phenotype of PCOS. Or if you're struggling with infertility, um, both male and female factor can be related to insulin resistance. And so when I'm talking to younger women, I always encourage them to really, you know, lean into their physiology. Um, a lot of women are in synthetic birth control. And so that can impact, um, you know, how they fast. But for someone that's not, let's, let's start with someone who's not on hormonal contraception, that is, it has a 28 or a 30 day cycle. 
I remind them from the day that you start bleeding till about midway through your cycle, that's your follicular phase. This is when estrogen predominates. You can push the envelope. You can do more intense exercise. You can do longer fasts. Um, you can certainly, you know, push the envelope with, you know, we call these um, hermetic stressors. So beneficial stress in the right amount at the right time. Now, if someone's very lean, I'm not going to encourage them to fast every single day. That would be um, that would be foolish. And we know that our brain's physiology is very attuned to uh, nutrient depletion. So I always talk about the fact that, uh, you know, in times of famine, like true famine, uh, our brains would, uh, you know, communicate with key hormones between the brain and the ovaries about food scarcity and, and you know, to ensure that there was no procreation. So I always like women to understand if you're a thin woman, you're still in your peak fertile years under the age of 35, you may fast for 12 or 14 hours twice a week. And that might be plenty. I, I call 12 hours of digestive rest exactly that, that that can be beneficial on so many levels. Um, there was a recent study by Sachin Panda talking about meal frequency and the average American is eating anywhere from 10 to 12 times a day between sugar, sweetened beverages and food. So eating less frequently and certainly allowing for some digestive rest for thinner, younger women can certainly be helpful. Now, if you fall in the category of being told that you're insulin resistant, um, you're dealing with obesity or you're leptin resistant, your PCOS, et cetera, then, you know, honoring where you are in your physiology. So the follicular phase is a time that you can get away with more fasting opportunities. Once you go through ovulation and you're in your luteal phase when progesterone predominates, and, and specifically if you're within five to seven days of, of getting your menstrual cycle, that's really when I always say to women, take your foot off the accelerator. This is not a time to be fasting. Might be a time to kind of lean into what your body is intrinsically craving. Maybe that you need a little bit more sweet potato, a little bit more squash, maybe um, higher quality carbohydrates, not huge amounts but really kind of leaning into the physiology and, and what progesterone does for the body. And I find for many women, if they're not fasting the five to seven days preceding their cycle, they oftentimes find their PMS is better. They will oftentimes have less issues sleeping, um, et cetera. So for lean women, really not fasting with tremendous frequency, maybe once or twice a week. For women that are insulin resistant or struggling with some of the disorders that I talked about already, they can certainly fast several times per week. Again, really focusing in on that follicular phase uh, when estrogen predominates. And then, you know, you kind of transition into, you know, 35 and above. We're looking at perimenopause. And for a lot of women, they don't even recognize these subtle changes are happening in their bodies. Unlike men, uh, women have a finite amount of eggs. We're born with the amount of eggs. So whatever age we are chronologically, that's how old our, our eggs are in our ovaries. And I remind women that as we get probably closer late 30s, early 40s, we're not ovulating every month. Even if we bleed, um, we may start expressing some of the signs of lowered amounts of progesterone. Uh, you may have an uptick in anxiety or depression. This is a time when a lot of women are put on antidepressants. Um, they may struggle with sleep. Uh, they may have a lot of you know, heavy mens menses, uh, fibrocystic breasts, things like that. And it's really your body's way of trying to find balance, You know, less progesterone, a little bit more circulating estrogen, your adrenals are starting to pick up the slack. And, and perimenopause is when I oftentimes say to women, what you can get away with in your 20s and 30s, you oftentimes cannot get away with at this stage of life. And it's really because our body is a little bit more sensitive to stress. And this isn't a negative thing. This is something that's physiologic. This is where these are the wisdom years we're just to be like leaning into what our body is trying to tell us. So, you know, how, what, what's our stress level like? What's our sleep quality like? 
you know, the, the junk that you could eat in your twenties, you oftentimes can't get away with in your forties and fifties and beyond. And I'll use as a couple examples, um, things like for a lot of women, you know, cow milk, dairy, gluten, uh, grains can be problematic alcohol in particular, because we know this can suppress a key hormone that helps us with sleep, melatonin, increased cortisol, which can contribute to sleep issues. So the lifestyle medicine piece for perimenopause and menopause really becomes critically important. I'm not suggesting it's not important for younger women. They just have a greater bandwidth to deal with stress as opposed to middle-aged women. And it's, it's just the changes in our physiology. And these are things that you know, I talk to my patients about almost, well, multiple times a day throughout the day, all across social media and, and within groups, um, just kind of leaning into the fact that we are all individuals. So bio-individuality rules, there are, you know, some broad recommendations that we as clinicians can make, but ultimately it comes down to like, where are you in time and space? You know, some women shouldn't fast. Uh, some women are not in a position to fast. I, I use as a really good example, um, breastfeeding women, I generally recommend that they not restrict their macro intake because they are feeding their infant child or their young child. Uh, same thing with pregnancy. And I know that that can be a little bit controversial. I had an interesting conversation with um, a leading autoimmune expert uh, physician, and, and she was saying that she does not recommend um, intermittent fasting uh, as well for her patients while they are pregnant because it can create some epigenetic changes. So changes that can be expressed um, at some point in the future. And so I really think the beauty of being women is that our physiology guides us, uh, but it also means that we have to take a couple extra steps to ensure that we're having some fasting success. Yeah, that's really well said. And, you know, for pregnant women, of course, they're having to grow rapidly. And mm -hmm. so that is, you know, one of the benefits of fasting is it's, is it stops growth, which, um, or reduces growth, which is key. Uh, when you're an adult, when you're fully grown, we actually need that. We want to reduce, um, the amount of cell division because that ages us. But when we're pregnant, we are, we're ramping up cell division. We need that. So yeah, super important. And then, um, also, you know, just with those, the young, lean menstruating females who are very active and very stressed, that's always, you know, a more challenging, uh, demographic to get doing intermittent fasting one, because they're a little worried about it. Um, and number two is also obviously that their body, we all have kind of this threshold of body fat, right. And for that, for, for a woman in her fertile years, that she's got this unique threshold. And if you go under right. And trigger that threshold, she's going to stop producing the right amount of fertility hormones, mm -hmm. which could lead to fatigue, could lead to hair falling out. Um, you know, just a lot of unwanted low libido, a lot of unwanted symptoms. And obviously we don't want, we don't want to go there. We, we know that fasting is a stressor. It's a hormetic stressor, meaning it's a stressor. Our, we respond to and get stronger and more stress resilient through. So it is a healthy stressor, but just like all stressors, we need to modulate and balance them with everything else that's going on in our environment. And, uh, you know, obviously that's what you talk about here in your book. Um, let's talk about some of the biggest mistakes that people are making when it comes to fasting. Yeah. Well, I would say first and foremost, it's the comparisonitis. So just because your favorite fit pro that's out there on social media and Instagram, just because they fast or just because, you know, they can do these really, really long prolonged fasts as an example, doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with that for them, but it's the comparisonitis. I think social media is a dual-edged sword. I think it can be a beautiful way 
to expose us to new information. But I also think this comparisonitis um, aspect of social media can be particularly uh, destructive. I also think about the fact that you know, a lot of women, the mistakes that they make is they don't clean fast. And I'm a huge proponent of being clear about what your goals are. If someone's really looking to change body composition or lose weight, and, and most women that I speak to and connect with, that's really what they're looking for is that that's the initial attraction. And they find, or I find that they're not clean fasting. So they're thinking because the Fit Pro on social media suggests they have they can have a handful of grapes or a bunch of nuts or something that's under 50 calories, or they can add all the cream and butter and make these really fatty coffees and that somehow that won't impact their results. So I, I always like women to start from a place of understanding what a clean fast is uh, versus dirty fasting. And, and certainly there's a time and a place. Sometimes we bone broth fast. Sometimes people will use fatty coffees. And if they're going from, as an example, standard American diet and being a couch potato, they may need to add a little bit of MCT oil to get from, you know, get to a period where they're not feeling like they're starving in between meals, um, but never as, as a long-term strategy. I always say, I want you to learn a clean fast so that you can do that properly. So a lot of dirty fasting, I would say a lot of people not listening to their bodies. I always say, if you're not sleeping through the night, don't start fasting. And, and this becomes, you know, this is the particular very type A um, you know, person who wants to, they, they have a tendency to overdo it. They, they try to exercise harder. They want to restrict more calories. They, they, you know, they don't need sleep. And so they try to force an outcome. And I think in all instances in life, anytime we try to force outcomes, it doesn't work out the way that we want it to. So I have to oftentimes remind women, if you're not sleeping through the night, and I don't care what age range you're in, you can be 25. If you're not sleeping through the night, please don't add in fasting. And certainly not if you're um, a middle-aged woman or older because sleep is such a restorative process in the body. And actually the more I learn about sleep physiology, the more humbled I am that I've actually slept pretty well for most of my adult life. Um, and so a lot of women uh, are not sleeping well and then they add in fasting and, and the sleep piece actually gets worse. And there's a lot to unpack there, but I would say sleep is, is one of those things. I use sleep as a barometer. I also use a menstrual cycle as a barometer. Um, I oftentimes will say that our menstrual cycles are a barometer of how well we are taking care of ourselves. And just like blood pressure and pulse and temperature and respirations are all certainly very important. Um, if a woman starts fasting and maybe her menstrual cycle has gotten a little wonky, meaning maybe it's a little lighter, a little heavier for a cycle or two, I don't worry about that. But if you start fasting and your menstrual cycle goes away and you are not pregnant, that is a sign that it is way too much stress. Um, and certainly for a woman in peak fertile years, I take that as like an SOS. The body has just said, this is too much stress, too much hormetic stress, uh, and this is not working for me. And the same thing really applies to women in perimenopause. If they suddenly just lose their cycle entirely, it could be related to something that's seemingly benign, but I remind them that their body is sending them a message. And the message is, this is too much. Maybe it's too much too soon. Maybe it's too frequently. Maybe it's too long but they really have to tease that out. So menstrual irregularities are, are some of the things and women really not leaning into what their body's trying to tell them. You mentioned earlier um, side effects, you know, the sleep piece is one menstrual irregularities. If your hair is falling out because either because you've lost a lot of weight or because your body is just under too much stress. If you suddenly have a lot of, um, you know, inflammation, you know, certainly like joint pain, we would assume that with fasting, you would have less of that. But I do find if women are losing weight and they're they're dealing with some estrogen deficiency issues, they can suddenly start 
getting a lot of symptoms of estrogen um, insufficiency in the body. And this doesn't just happen to older women. I, I certainly have seen this. You mentioned that kind of lean phenotype of woman that probably is lower on the estrogen side to begin with. But if all of a sudden you're having a lot of, um, you know, joint inflammation, you're having aches and pains, um, you're having hot flashes and yes, that can happen. And even younger women, although not as common, um, if you're having some, you know, low libido, um, you know, some vaginal discomfort, things like that, that are a sign that there's some hormonal dysregulation. And then lastly, I would say one of the other really common things that I see is um, people that are in a position where they are, they're not properly fueling their body when they are in their feeding window. And, and a good example of this is OMAD. And OMAD, for anyone that's listening, it's not familiar with that, it's one meal a day. And that's okay if you've had a celebration, you're on vacation, maybe you overate and you get back on track by having one meal and then you go back to eating whatever it is that's reasonable for you, two to three meals in your feeding window. But I see a lot of women that they start having these changes in hunger hormones, maybe in their late thirties, early forties, they're not hungry for a second meal, so they don't eat. And then they end up chronically under eating and they're fasting. And we talk about, you know, this leveraging of stress, you know, that it's almost like building a brick wall. You just keep adding another brick. And so I, I don't love OMAD as a strategy for women um, and certainly not long-term. And so a lot of women will say, I'm just not hungry. I'm not gonna eat that other meal. And I have to really educate them that your body is going to get into this you know, scarcity state where you're just not giving it enough fuel. You're gonna slow down your basal metabolic rate. There are all these wonderful things that come out of fasting and fasting are flexing muscle. But what we don't want to do is send signals to our brain or our body that, we're in a state of real tremendous food scarcity where that can be problematic. And, you know, what's interesting to me is, um, you know, I, I would say most of us, and it can be the conditioning we received growing up with, you know, our relationships with food and, and our, our families. Um, one thing that my parents did particularly well was that um, they really taught my brother and I to be uh, intuitive eaters. And, and that has been something that's worked well for us. But intuitive eating doesn't necessarily work well if someone has hormones that are not properly balanced. And, and that would be probably the last dovetail into some of the mistakes I see women eating is that they're trying desperately to eat for intuitive eating, like, oh, lean into what your body is trying to tell you, but there's so much hormonal imbalance. They don't get the proper signals from their stomach to their brain, to their fat tissue to remind them or let them know that they're full or satiated. And so all of those things together um, or singly, can impact, um, you know, the success a woman might have with fasting. Hey, I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about Perfect Keto Cereal. If you're like me, you grew up eating cereal, but you stopped eating it because you knew the ingredients were driving up massive inflammation in your body, but you still miss it. You still wish you could have that good, sweet crunch. And that is why I wanted to tell you about Perfect Keto Cereal, which is a grain-free, keto-friendly cereal with ingredients you can actually trust. It is a treat reminiscent of your childhood with a satisfying crunch and value-added ingredients like collagen and MCTs. I love the cinnamon and the honey nut flavor. And again, it is grain-free. No wheat, no oats, no rice, no corn, no, you know, nothing that's gonna spike your blood sugar. In fact, it only has one to two grams of net carbs, nine grams of protein and five grams of fat. You know, an equal amount of traditional cereal 
can have up to 25, 30, even 40 grams of net carbs in one serving with barely any protein, fat, or dietary fiber. That is just gonna massively blast your blood sugar, but not perfect keto. Again, one to two grams of net carbs, nine grams of protein, and five grams of fat. And you know what kind of protein they have? They have collagen protein that they've added in there along with MCTs. The collagen helps support your joints, it helps support your skin, your hair, your nails, and helps to heal and seal your gut lining. The MCTs turn into ketones in your bloodstream, which balances your blood sugar and stabilizes your insulin levels. You guys are going to love this cereal. You can check it out at perfectketo.com forward slash DRJ and use the coupon code JOCKERS for 20% off your first order. Again, that's perfectketo.com forward slash DRJ and use the coupon code JOCKERS for 20% off your first order. Check it out today. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that for sure. And you talked about, you know, really getting the proper nourishment during the feeding window. So what does that look like? Like, what are you doing on a regular basis? What does your meal plans look like? And obviously you talk a lot about it in the book as well. Yeah. I mean, I am a big advocate of animal-based protein. It's most satiating. Uh, for me, that's what I always say I'm carnivore-ish, although I don't like to fall into a bucket. I think we're, we've gotten as a society, everyone identifies by a particular, you know, diet dogma. And I remind people it could look very different for each one of us, but I just, find that animal-based protein will keep women satiated and then they will be able to make better choices. I personally cycle my carbohydrates. I'm not low carb every day. I usually have one or two higher carbs, um, carb days during my week, but predominantly it's a lot of animal-based protein. I mean, I love steak and bison and wild boar and we eat plenty of fish and chicken and all sorts of things. Eggs, I'm a huge advocate for eggs. Eggs kind of satisfy every, every and any need. And then I have a lot of non-starchy vegetables and that's just work, what works really well for me. Um, I don't do well with copious amounts of fats. I like healthy fats, but I'm always going to be that person. That I have to be careful. My body just does not, um, I do better with plant-based fats. And that's the only time you're hearing me use that term plant-based, but plant-based fats, I'll do better with olives and avocado and coconut oil as opposed to um, lard and tallow. And I know plenty of people that do really well with those animal-based fats. I'm just not one of them. They sit like, they sit in my stomach and I just, they make me actually nauseous. And I do plenty of gallbladder and liver support, but it's just the way that my own physiology, my body likes leaner meat and, you know, plant-based fats. But when I'm working with women, uh, a lot of our kind of diet dogmas that we've really uh, held on to is that carbs are, you know, those, those heart healthy grains and lots of gluten. And so I encourage women to really experiment with less processed types of carbohydrates. I'm not anti-carb. The more metabolically flexible a woman is, the more carbohydrates she can consume in her diet. Uh, and that's certainly, uh, you know, when you're in your twenties and thirties, you get away with a lot more carbohydrate than you do in your forties and fifties. And a lot of that is related to hormonal changes, especially as we're losing estrogen, we become a little less insulin sensitive and estrogen is this insulin sensitizing hormone. So for me, to be honest with you and for full transparency, I'm gluten, grains, and dairy-free, but I'm a very happy gluten, grains, and dairy-free. That's just what works for my body. And, and in my early forties, I had to make some changes. Uh, and I would say giving up gluten was probably the most impactful uh, for a lot of a lot of men and women, uh, going gluten-free can put autoimmune issues into remission. That's certainly what happened with me. 
Uh, and, you know, dairy, I jokingly refer to dairy as the five pound dairy. If it works for you, that's awesome. But I do find dairy can be hard to moderate. And as my, my kind of coined phrase, my kids hate hearing is if you can't moderate, you eliminate. And that's just kind of my, you know, my kind of methodology. But I, I do think that lots of different types of nutritional paradigms can work very well with fasting. It doesn't just have to be keto or low carb. Um, carnivore can work well. I, I do see women in middle age struggle if they are predominantly vegetarian trying to get in enough uh, protein because a lot of the plant-based protein also tends to be higher in carbohydrates. So trying to find um, you know, wins like a lot of the vegetarians will incorporate some eggs or they may incorporate um, some lean pieces, pieces of fish on occasion to try to get their protein sources up. But I, I do find for a lot of women, they're not eating enough protein, they eat too many carbs and the wrong types of fats. Yeah, I, I'm completely, completely in agreement with that. And a lot of people do really well coming off all the grains and the dairy, like you were talking about. And really prioritizing protein, you know, that's mm -hmm. something that I personally do. And I find that I feel significantly better when I'm doing it. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that protein prioritizing that in the meal is so, so good? So key for women as well. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it's the satiety cues. It's very hard to overeat protein. Yeah. I mean, I, I know how much steak I can eat. And when I hit that threshold, I can't eat another bite of anything. Yeah. So if I have an eight ounce steak, which is a good size steak for someone that's my size, uh, I know that I won't be eating anything else. Uh, so I, I think first and foremost, there's a couple things. It's the satiety uh, hormones that get enacted when we're eating sufficient amounts of protein. And, you know, north of 40, one of the things that will happen to us if we don't do things to rectify it, uh, we will lose muscle mass with age. And so sarcopenia is the muscle loss with aging. And the way you can think about it is if you look at a piece of filet or a ribeye, and so the filet is young meat and the ribeye has a lot more fat in it. And that's what starts to happen is that we start replacing um, muscle tissue with adipose tissue or fat tissue. So just to give you a visualization, like I'm very much a visual person. The other thing uh, that I think is so important is, you know, maintaining muscle, building muscle. And the only way you're going to be able to do that, you have to lift heavy things. You have to eat enough protein. And I find that the last kind of piece that ties in with that is the more muscle mass we have, if we're consuming enough protein and lifting heavy things, the more insulin sensitive we will be. You want to think of your muscles as a glucose reservoir. Um, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon calls uh, muscle the organ of longevity. And so I always love to give her credit for that statement, but I think it's really important. So I would say that animal-based protein is going to allow you to get in enough uh, protein to maintain your muscles to help maintain that insulin sensitivity. And then the carbohydrate piece, you know, it isn't even so much that people don't do well with carbs. It's the net impact of the insecticides and herbicides that are sprayed on grains and gluten before it, it is harvested or after it's harvested that really wreak havoc in the gut microbiome. I know you talk a lot about these mm. subjects on your podcast and in your blogs, but I think it's important for people to understand, like it's not just about too much carbohydrate. It's also the net impact of consumption of those types of foods and what it does to the gut microbiome. And, and for anyone who's listening and they don't really you know, like understand or appreciate um, our small intestine is supposed to be a closed system, but 
what these herbicides and pesticides like glyphosate will do is they'll actually punch holes in the small intestine. And then when whatever food you're eating like leaks into your bloodstream, it can start this inflammatory response, not to mention other a host and a cascade of other issues that go on. So I, I think with a little bit of education, we can explain to people, we're not saying to never have a grain ever again, but just be smart about it. You know, just make sure that you know, you're really focused on the food items that we know, you know, based on research are going to give you the most bang for your buck and allow you to maintain um, the healthy body composition that you're looking for. And for anyone that's, that's thinking, you know, fasting is just about changing body composition. It's so much more than that. And, you know, even in the midst of um, the past two years, and I'll just allude to it in that way, I think that the greatest gift we can give ourselves is to try to support our bodies in ways where we can allow our bodies to go in and get rid of disease, disordered proteins, organelles, et cetera. And that's one of, you know, one of many benefits of fasting. But one of the things I always like to kind of include so that people understand when we're advocating for adequate amount of protein and really limiting gluten grains, it's not to, um, you know, try to, to, it's not to it's not to suggest that what we're doing is the only variation that people can employ, but just to understand that there is a lot that's done to our food before it ever ends up in our pantry or in our refrigerator. And, and the more we know, the better choices we can make. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, with protein, you know, you have different camps out there. You've got kind of this longevity camp that's that will say, well, we actually want to restrict protein because protein, particularly branched chain amino acids like leucine, uh, will trigger the mTOR pathway. And the mTOR pathway is associated with building, growing, and it's associated with, you know, when you get older, uh, obviously when you're younger, it's, it's always turned on because you're growing. Uh, when you get older, you want to suppress it to, to a certain degree because it's associated with accelerated aging and disease and early death. Um, and so you've got that camp that's you know, really all about protein restriction and activating autophagy through protein restriction and autophagy cleans up these damaged proteins, of course. And then you've got the camp that I guess I would put myself in. Well, I, I would put myself in that would say, and, and I know you were in this as well. And that would say that, well, this is, this is the beauty of intermittent fasting is that you can spend time in a protein deprived state and get the benefits of autophagy without sacrificing your muscle tissue. Because if you're in a long-term state of protein deficiency, you are going to have sarcopenia where you lose muscle mass, as opposed to when you have protein, but in a condensed eating window, um, along with things like you talked about, like strength training, now you're able to actually have the stimulus and the fuel, uh, right? The raw materials to help build uh, lean muscle mass, right? And that's so important, especially as we age, um, to do all of our daily activities and do the things that we want to do. But there's a lot of, you know, very well-known people um, that are very well credentialed that are in this sort of longevity um, ideology of protein restriction. Why do, why do you think that is? And how can we better communicate this? And, uh, you know, how, we, how they can use intermittent fasting as a tool here to, uh, to prevent sarcopenia. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, before I answer that, I, I think because I worked in traditional Western medicine for over 20 years, and I got to see what happens to patients when they don't maintain their lean muscle mass. And you can be, quote unquote, thin and be 50, 60, 70 years old and be also be very weak because your muscle has been replaced by adipose tissue and you could just be skinny 
just, you know, or as sometimes people call it um, thin on the outside, fat on the inside, meaning yeah. you're not metabolically healthy, but you're thin. And so I, I think I have to balance the research with what I know from clinical experience mm -hmm. and that, you know, I can't tell you how many 50 plus year old patients I had that in the hospital couldn't get off the toilet because their quadricep muscles were so atrophied mm -hmm. from either lack of use or, you know, significant sarcopenia. And so, you know, when I, when I see very well-respected researchers like Walter Longo and um, David Sinclair, who obviously I hold in, in very high regard and respect enormously, I just have to say, I don't think we, I don't feel like we have essentially answered all the questions yet. I think there's more to it than that. And I lean into individuals like yourself and others um, that are, are aligned in, in the methodology that we want to maintain this lean muscle and being in a protein restricted state is not going to yield the metabolic health that I personally am looking for. And so I'm constantly, as I know you are, I'm constantly reading, looking at the research, trying to present things that I find are incredibly valuable. And so I think the, the research is still, is still ongoing, but I just think that if we live in a protein restricted state, we're going to set ourselves up for some significant metabolic health issues and really looking at the statistics. I mean, there's a statistic from 2018 that I quote probably daily talking about UNC Chapel Hill. And at that time they said 88.2% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. I'm sure it is not, it's not better now. And if we keep heading in that direction, we need to course correct. And so I think one way to go about doing that is really having these discussions where we entertain both sides and say there is probably a lot of merit in, uh, you know, perhaps having, uh, you know, some longer fasted periods throughout the year where you're in a more protein restricted state, but that's certainly not something I would want to potentiate long-term for me personally, yeah. and certainly not for the women that I work with, because I, I think that will lean into some of the metabolic health issues that we're now seeing that are hugely problematic. In fact, I said the other day that, you know, we're at a point where this is a public health threat, like it needs to be treated as such and no longer, you know, kind of not paying attention. You know, it seems like on social media every day, there are more and more people that are, you know, really demanding more of, um, you know, the public health environment to have people having these discussions so that more people get better information because our current system that I was once part of, um, and, Obviously, for acute and urgent and emergent things, we do a great job. But as an allopathic medical model, the system is broken. And yeah. teaching our patients that they need to come to us to treat symptoms instead of doing the really challenging lifestyle work, which is really what this is, this is really what we're talking about. It, we're never teaching people how to fish. We just keep giving them food instead or medicine, giving them uh, pills to treat symptoms as opposed to saying, hey, yeah. this is tough love, but what we really need to do is change up our rhetoric and to encourage our patients to make better food choices and better quality sleep and get more physical activity and all the things that I, I think the average clinician would love to be able to do, but just the way that our medical model is designed right now, they're not able to do. There's so many time constraints. In fact, I was saying to someone the other day that the changes I've seen in medicine over the last 25 years, uh, we're not heading in the right direction. And so I, I think it's so vitally important that we're talking about strategies people can use and be able to employ in their lives that can help them, you know, gain back or, you know, return to a state of metabolic health where they are not needing to be on 
10 or 15 medications and they don't need to see 16 specialists. And, and I'm repeating what people are saying to me on social media, some of the things that have improved because they have started intermittent fasting, changed their diet, and then they can, you know, have significant improvements in their, in their health. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I hear every single day, people talking about weight loss, better brain function, you know, like you and I are two people who got into intermittent fasting, who never tried to lose weight. Like that was never a goal of mine. I had gut issues. I had irritable bowel and intermittent fasting was a critical tool that helped me heal my gut and help reduce inflammation in my body. And my brain felt alive, right? My brain was clouded, right? From inflammation and it just came alive. And I actually went to, I became at the top of my class. I was in, I was in college at the time. Um, so I went from, you know, more or less kind of a struggling student, uh, average student to the top of my class because I had less brain inflammation. Um, and I was able to really think the way that I was supposed to think. And that's why I continue to practice intermittent fasting on a regular basis. And we're hearing these kind of testimonials all the time from people. And, you know, it's simple, it's cheap, uh, obviously, like you don't have to pay anything. And it's really built into our blueprint because this is something that our ancestors did. We didn't have refrigerators and pantries and things like that. So it's part of our genetic code to go periods of time without food. And we actually get, we actually can get stronger and more stress resilient through that period rather than weaker. And uh, that's what's so powerful about fasting. So let's talk about your 45 day program in your book and how you walk people through this stage of, you know, I imagine coming in metabolically inflexible, right? And really dramatically improve their metabolic health through this 45 day program. Yeah. And so this program really has been several years worth worth of work. Um, obviously the 2019 talk that kind of catapulted all of this coming to fruition, mm -hmm. this really came out of that. You know, we had to, we, as in my team and I put together programs really quickly and we through trial and error figured out what worked and what didn't work. And so the first whole week of the program is really what I refer to as an induction phase where people are cleaning out their pantries. They're kind of wrapping their head around the idea, like we're going to plan to prepare and we're going to take action. And so encouraging people to consider lowering their carbohydrate intake. We know the average American consumes 200, 200 to 300 grams of carbs a day. Again, I'm not anti-carb, but I want you to eat high quality carbs and I want you to eat less carbs. And so, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about is, is really giving the prep work so we can walk women through what they need to do so they are ready to hit the ground running after the first week. And then the 45, the, the, the additional, you know, 30 some odd days that come after that are really focused on the basics. So making sure that you understand the importance of things like electrolytes. I think a lot of people don't talk about what happens when you consume a lower carbohydrate diet how you get this release of glycogen that will release water. And through with the water comes electrolytes like potassium, magnesium, and sodium. And for a lot of people that experience what is termed keto flu is really a manifestation of the loss of these electrolytes. And so coming from a cardiology background and being a huge cardiology nerd, um, I did a lot of electrolyte repletion. So we, we talk about basics that are really important to set a firm foundation we go through the why, you know, the research for why we do things in a, a particular way. There are challenges built in throughout that are completely optional, but keep people interested in guessing like what's coming next, what's coming next. We talk about a lot about the mindset around making lifestyle changes. Um, we really dive into the physiology. And, and for me, I love the metabolic health impact of 
fasting. So explaining to women, you know, why we might want to check our blood sugar, why we want to know, um, you know, um, Marty Feldman actually, Marty Kendall, excuse me, introduced me to a concept of a trigger point, like knowing what your blood sugar is when you get hungry and having a glucometer or continuous glucose monitor. And I wear a continuous glucose monitor nearly year round, really out of curiosity. I think it's important for people to feel empowered. Like let's get more information, you know, checking in on sleep, checking in on stress management, checking in on all these lifestyle pieces, and then really leaning into the nutrition piece because it all starts with food. You know, I have this amazing chef, Beth Lipton, who uh, I collaborated on with these recipes and they're designed to be easy to put together, they're not unusual ingredients because no one wants to spend, you know, go to multiple grocery stores to find five ingredients that you're only going to lose, use once, and then they're going to get stale and rancid in your pantry. And so really keeping things simple, really focus on animal-based protein, lots of flavor, but not necessarily making it so that you have a complicated recipe. Mm. And so then it's really educating women how to eat, when to eat, um, how to, you know, how to start fasting because the basics are certainly important. I always say, you know, put the training wheels on. If you're new to fasting, if you're an experienced faster, there's still a lot of benefits in the book as well. And, you know, ultimately my hope and my endeavor is that people can feel like they have a little bit of me in their pocket or in their, you know, if they're listening on the audiobooks or they have the book and I can help coach them along the way. You know, I, I feel like I was really this is really what I was meant to do. You know, I always say like, obviously being married to my husband and my boys, I was meant to be mm-hmm. his wife and, and their mom. But the other thing in my life that I have zero doubt on is that this book is really a labor of love. And this is really a, another way to service and help support women and their health. Well, awesome, Cynthia, you're doing great work. Guys, check out her book, the Intermittent Fasting Transformation. 45 day program for weight loss, for helping improve, uh, you know, and reduce inflammation in your body and really take back control of your health. And so guys check that out, Cynthia, any last words of inspiration for our audience here? Yeah, no, I mean, my hope and my endeavor is so is really for women to feel educated, inspired and empowered. And this is the first book that I'm aware of that really showcases the unique physiology of women and really leaning into what makes us special and unique irrespective of what stage of life we're in and being able to utilize this strategy as well as others to ensure that we remain as metabolically healthy and you know vibrant um, as we can ever be. You know, I think unfortunately the one thing I'm starting to kind of get glimpses of as I see friends of mine from high school and beyond is that there's a tipping point. You know, it, it can be very challenging for people to imagine uh, what their life can be like five or 10 years down the road, because it, it becomes, it's tough to make lifestyle changes up front, but you want to be thinking about the long game. You want to have energy to play with your children and your grandchildren and, you know, interact with your significant others, your loved ones, um, the people you interact with professionally. And this is really a great way to keep your brain and your body healthy. Absolutely. Well, Cynthia, my audience and I are super thankful for all the great work that you're doing. Thanks for coming on the show today. And guys, we'll see you on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. 
Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.